Murder in the North, Episode 5, Yuha and Marita, the Bonnie and Clyde of the North. Yuha knows that he's not like others. He's different. Maybe you could even say a psychopath. His girlfriend, Marita, knows it too. In the late 80s, the two of them set off on a journey together. They hit the road and embark on a crime spree across Scandinavia, resulting in the deaths of three people. And it's not just the police who are hot on their heels. The media and the public also become transfixed with the case. And before long, Yuha and Marita are dubbed the Bonnie and Clyde of the North. You're listening to Murder in the North, a podcast about some of the most shocking criminal cases in Scandinavia. Our account of these cases is based on sources in the public domain, including interviews, press releases and court proceedings. Some narrative details were seen as irrelevant to the plot and therefore left out. This podcast series contains scenes of violence that some listeners may find distressing. You're listening to a true story, as researched by Emil Hansen and Barbara Gearholf-Nilholm, and told by me, Jenna Sharp. Marita is 17 when she meets Yuha. They're both from Pori, a small town with a population of 85,000 in southwest Finland. Yuha is a few years older than Marita and a real rebel. It's the 1980s, an era often associated with a new wave of fashion and culture. With pop music, whose fans sport colourful clothes and elaborate hairstyles, as well as yuppies in expensive suits and overly gelled hair. But Yuha is not like the others. Yuha always dresses in black and wears his messy black hair down to his shoulders. His dream of becoming a punk musician remains unfulfilled, but in his heart he's a provocateur, drawn to all things dangerous and especially taboo. Yuha is a troublemaker and has had several run-ins with the police, both at home in Finland and also across the border in Sweden, where he spent some time in prison. When Yuha meets Marita, he's hell-bent on making her his. And so it happens that they start a relationship. They soon become accomplices in crime stealing expensive fast cars and taking them on joyrides and burgling homes and shops. Their crime spree takes them all over Finland, Sweden and Denmark. They're like Bonnie and Clyde, Yuha thinks, the notorious couple that wreaked havoc in the United States in the 1930s and who were shot dead by police following a lengthy manhunt. Yuha wants to be just as famous and infamous 
as them. Soon enough, it dawns on Marita that Yuha is a dangerous person. But the shy young woman can't resist her impulsive and impetuous boyfriend. What happens, happens. And their relationship culminates in a cataclysm of violence, suffering and death that has the whole of Scandinavia gripped in the summer of 1988. As a child, Juha spent time in southern Sweden with his mother, and he feels equally at home there as he does in his native Finland. But as a rebellious young man, he soon comes up against the Swedish authorities. In 1987, following multiple arrests for burglary and car theft, both he and Marita receive a 10-year travel ban. Juha is also sentenced to 12 months in prison, Marita to six. It's a chance for Marita to end things with Juha. After three years, his recklessness has lost its glamour and romance, and his sullen moods and short temper make him too volatile. When Marita watches Juha deliberately run a motorcyclist off the road, she decides to call time on their relationship. Marita serves her sentence in Sweden and then moves to a small house in the Finnish town of Pori. Her sister and a cousin help her get back on her feet after the chaotic three years with Juha. She lands a job in a restaurant and has dreams of becoming an opera singer. She writes a letter to Juha and tells him that it's over that she's met someone new. Yuha is unfazed. Remember I'm not just some lovesick teenager, he writes to her from prison. There's something about me, something that even you, after all these years together, don't seem to fully understand. My mind is my greatest strength. I always get what I want, even if it costs lives. Intelligence and sociopathy are a dangerous combination. Yuho is released from prison on the 1st of May 1988. He steals a car, and a few days later, he turns up on Marita's doorstep. Her new boyfriend had just broken up with her. He made a lucky escape, and so did Marita, because if Yuho had found them together, He'd have no choice but to murder them both, he tells her. Marita has just turned 20, Yuha is nearly 23, and he has big plans for the two of them. They'll need money for their shared future. Enough money to disappear, he insists, to a place in the Mediterranean where it's always sunny. He persuades Marita to come along. She's never been able to refuse him anything. It will be their final trip together. And with that, they follow in the footsteps of Bonnie and Clyde, just as Yuha had always envisioned. Before they set off, Yuha promises to give Marita an Angora rabbit. He steals one before they've even crossed the border with Sweden. Not long after they cross the border, he steals a second one. 
The two little rabbits keep the pair company during their crime spree, as Yuha and Marita crisscross Scandinavia, switching from one stolen car to another. First, they go to Norway, then Sweden, and finally Denmark, where they spend some time in the free town of Christiania before returning to Sweden again. They spend midsummer in Stockholm. At the beginning of July, they arrive in the province of Västerbotten, some 450 miles north of the Swedish capital, not far from the border with Finland. They always stick to the same pattern. They look for an unoccupied home or an empty summer house, and when they find one, Juha breaks in while Marita keeps watch outside. After a while, they approach a crossroads, and Yuha asks Marita which way she wants to go, left to Umeå or right towards Omsala. Marita chooses to go right. Yuha has no brothers and sisters. As a child, he had little contact with his father, and his mother struggled to control his behavior. He was often hyperactive and prone to extreme fits of rage. He was in and out of different schools, where the other boys taunted him over his short stature. But Yuha didn't behave like a typical victim. He'd hit back. He's not afraid to take things much further than others might do. He would torment his bullies until they begged for mercy. On Saturday, the 2nd of July, 1988, Juha and Marita arrive in the village of Omsala. Juha is actually in a good mood for once. In their stolen Saab, they share a bag of crisps, a few beers, and a bottle of booze. The car is full of items they've stolen during their trip. The two Angora rabbits are a constant presence. And then there's their latest acquisition, a double-barreled hunting rifle that Yuha took from a house a few days earlier. The rifle is to play a role in his ambitious plans. Yuha and Marita want to start earning serious money. They'll have to quit the small-scale burglaries and start robbing banks. On a clear summer night at 3am, Yuha decides to take a look around the sleepy village of Omsala. Marita carries a bag filled with the usual paraphernalia. Gloves, screwdrivers, crowbars and the hunting rifle. They've sawn off the barrel to make the weapon easier to handle. They're both a bit worse for wear. So far, the night has been less than successful. But then Yuha spots an unlocked bike in front of the garden of a house. He tiptoes over and snatches it, tells Marita to sit on the luggage carrier, and pedals off. But inside the house... The Nilsons are still awake. The eldest son, 15-year-old Frederick, has just come home from his first ever party, and his parents have stayed up for him. They catch sight of the thieves from the kitchen, 
Two slim, long-haired figures, the man a bit taller than the woman. Not intimidated by the yelling and banging on the window, the bike thief cycles off, his accomplice riding pillion. Sten Nielsen is a lieutenant with the Swedish Air Force, and he's not the kind to let the thieves get away with it. Sten gets up and jumps into his Volvo along with his son, Frederick. They pursue the young couple towards the direction of the cemetery. Juha and Marita hear the car coming closer. They dump the bike beside a park bench and hide behind a small shed, but the lieutenant and his son have already spotted them. Sten is fuming when he gets out of his car. He yells, Give us that bike back! Yuha asks Marita to hand him the rifle. Then he comes out of his hiding place and steps into the path of the father and son. When he sees the weapon, Nilsson backs down. He says that he's already phoned the police and just wants the bike back, that's all. But Yuha cocks the gun and moves a step closer. He aims the weapon at father and son and orders them to kneel down. Beg for mercy, he says, standing barely three feet away from them. Then he fires. The first shot hits Sten Nielsen in the head, killing him instantly. Then Yuha aims the gun at Sten Nielsen's son. The boy is crying, as is Marita. Both are begging Yuha to stop, but Yuha fires again, and 15-year-old Frederick dies on impact alongside his father. The shots ring out into the night. 42-year-old Eva Nielsen hears them. She stayed at home because Frederick's younger brother is sleeping in a tent in the garden with one of his schoolmates. But as soon as she hears the bangs, she jumps on her bike and rushes in the direction of the noise. Yuha drags the crying Marita back to the stolen Saab. He wants to get away fast, but the car won't start. And that's why they're still there when Eva Nielsen arrives in search of her husband and son. She dismounts from her bike and raps on the window. Yuha kicks the car door open with such force that Eva is knocked from her bike. He jumps on top of her and starts punching and kicking her. He yells at Marita to load the rifle, but she doesn't quite know how to do it. Since Marita is taking too long, Yuha wrenches the weapon from her hands and starts battering Eva with it, who's still on the ground. Eventually, he grabs his Sammy hunting knife and stabs her. Eva Nielsen is left for dead in the street. Yuha and Marita take off with screeching tires. She's beside herself, and he's furious. Furious because he's had to kill three people. They left him with no choice, he rages. For the next half an hour, they head north at breakneck speed, until Yuha loses control of the vehicle and crashes into a pylon. The Saab is totaled, but the couple are unhurt. They leave the car 
and run off on the lookout for a replacement vehicle. After walking for just over half a mile, they arrive in a small village where they find another car with its key still in the ignition. Yuha wants to get a move on, but Marita refuses. She can't get over the fact that they left the two rabbits in the Saab and insists on going back to collect them. Yuha gives in. He's an animal lover and feels sorry for the creatures. So they drive the new car back to the wreck to rescue the rabbits. They grab a few more things before dousing the Saab in petrol and setting it alight. Then they resume their nocturnal flight. On Sunday morning, the three victims are found in Omsala. The local constabulary immediately alerts police departments across the country, and a search for the perpetrators is launched. Yuha and Marita have had a considerable head start, and the only people who saw them in Omsala are dead. Hearing the reports on the radio about the brutal triple murder, they get rid of the murder weapon and the clothes they had worn that night. They also swap vehicles repeatedly during their flight south. The police have no idea who might have murdered Sten, Eva and Frederick Nielsen, but it doesn't take them long to make the link with the partially burnt-out Saab. When a Honda is reported stolen some 30 miles from Omsala, a nationwide manhunt gets underway. By now, Yuha and Marita have travelled more than 300 miles further south in Delana. They hide the Honda in the forest and hitch a ride to a nearby campsite. Meanwhile... The murders in Omsala are front-page news, and Marita is in a total panic. She wants to go back to Finland, but Juha refuses to let her go. He says he'll butcher the rabbits if she tries to leave. It's not the first time he's said this. He also repeatedly threatens to kill Marita. That's how he keeps her in check whenever she refuses to do his bidding. Having seen what happened in Omsala, Marita knows that Yuha won't hesitate to follow through on his threats. Slowly but surely, detectives manage to piece together the couple's route from one stolen car to another. And it's the rabbit droppings they find in those vehicles that turn out to be a vital clue. A few days after the brutal killings, the police are able to put names and faces to the Omsala killers. Yuha Valikala, 23 years old, and Marita Rutalami, 20, both Finnish citizens and known to the Swedish police. When Yuha and Marita were arrested in Sweden the previous year, the police retrieved various stolen goods, among them a camera. In it was a roll of film with a whole slew of private photos of the fugitives. One of these makes its way into both broadsheet newspapers and tabloid press. 
All are avidly reporting every gruesome detail of this case. The hunt for the criminal pair sends newspaper sales soaring, and photos of Yuha and Marita are regularly splashed across the front pages. One image proves particularly popular. It shows them sitting on some steps and wouldn't be out of place on the cover of a punk album. Yuha gazing into the lens with a dark look on his face, dressed head to toe in black, his hair long and messy. Marita leaning shyly against him in a miniskirt and knitted cardigan with a string of pearls around her neck. Suddenly, the two are spotted everywhere. Police are flooded with reported sightings. A macabre cult starts to develop around the fugitive couple. Yuha, whose teenage dreams of a career as a punk rocker never came to anything, has finally become a celebrity. He's the talk of the town, the object of a bizarre fascination. While the mere thought of him sends shivers down most people's spines, there are some, many of them young women, who become admirers. Yuha and Marita are now well and truly shrouded in that whole Bonnie and Clyde mystique. The investigative team is getting closer, but time and again, the two manage to evade the clutches of the police. They hide from helicopters and search dogs, flee through forests in Sweden, and steal car after car. The police don't want to take any risks. The fugitives are armed and dangerous. After all, they didn't think twice about killing an entire family in cold blood. On one occasion, when they're about to be captured, Yuha and Marita manage to give their pursuers the slip by fleeing into a dense forest. The police decide to wait for backup before going after them, and in the end, all they find is an abandoned getaway car. The couple hide in empty summer houses for a while before escaping via riverbeds and small streams. They help themselves to bikes and then another car and eventually manage to reach the west coast. There they steal a boat and sail across the Orisund to Denmark where they catch a bus to Copenhagen. The plan is to lie low in the alternative community of Christiania, but this time, Juha and Marita aren't welcome there. Marita is exhausted and wants to give up, but Juha won't have any of it. He's determined to travel south via Germany to the Mediterranean as planned. After a few days in Copenhagen, they buy a train ticket to Odense. The story of the triple murder in Omsala and the two perpetrators' escape across Sweden has also made the headlines in Denmark. Juha and Marita's faces are known up and down the country. Danish police have been alerted by their Swedish counterparts. The pair might well try to escape via Denmark... It's not long before the first sightings are reported. Among those coming forward is a conductor 
who's convinced that he's seen the two young Finns on his train. As the train traverses the island of Zeland to get on the ferry to the island of Funen, across the Strait of Great Belt, police in Odense prepare themselves. Waiting on the platform for the train to enter Odense station are nine officers armed with machine guns. They managed to arrest Scandinavia's most wanted without incident. It's Sunday afternoon, a week after the bloody night in the cemetery of Omsala. Juha strongly denies any involvement in the case. He even claims never to have been anywhere near Omsala. But Marita is relieved that after two months of being Juha's reluctant associate, she's free at last, behind bars, but rid of him. They're handed over to the Swedish police. Marita confesses to everything and describes the murders in Omsala's cemetery in horrific detail. Juha, on the other hand, presents a very different story. Marita was the driving force. She was the one who shot Stern and Frederick Nielsen and who battered Eva Nielsen with the rifle butt. When the couple appear in court in Umeå in September 1988, Juha stands by his statement. The courtroom is filled to the rafters. Alongside family, friends and neighbours of the three victims, the place is teeming with journalists reporting on the case. There are also many teenage girls who swoon over the notorious Juha. His photos in the papers have helped cement his lugubrious cult status. The dark glasses, long black hair, and that piercing gaze. He's seen as a kind of rock star figure. Some fans even turn up at the courtroom in homemade t-shirts, featuring his photo and the caption, Free Yuha. Bags of fan mail are delivered to the prison. His groupies are adamant that Yuho is innocent and that it's Marita who's responsible for the killings. Yuho visibly enjoys the attention during the trial, whereas Marita just sits there, hunched over, with her gaze fixed on the table. It quickly becomes clear that the evidence found at the crime scene in Umsala supports Marita's statement and the court finds her a credible witness. Yuha alone is found guilty of the three murders. When the court announces the verdicts in February 1989, Marita is convicted of complicity in aggravated assault, aggravated burglary and unlawful entry into Sweden. She's given a two-year prison sentence. Upon her release, she moves back to Pori under a new name and a new identity and tries to move on from events as best she can. Yuha is sentenced to life in prison. Forensic psychiatrists diagnose him with antisocial personality disorder 
with narcissistic tendencies. They describe him as someone who's lacking in empathy and incapable of reining in his aggression. Nonetheless, they declare him to be fully responsible for his actions. Juha serves his time in Finland. Eventually, the life sentence is commuted to a 20-year term. While in prison, Juha tries to escape multiple times. In 1994, he manages to break out by taking the prison's English teacher hostage. But despite his many attempts, he never remains at large for long. By then, his groupies have lost their interest in Juha. The public and the media, however, remain fascinated by the savage killings and the two enticing protagonists. In 2006, Yuha does a TV interview, which is recorded while he's out on temporary license. While incarcerated, he has adopted a new name and has gotten married twice. Aside from the fact that now, on camera, he openly admits to taking the Nielsen's lives, he doesn't seem to have changed much. In the TV interview, he describes his crimes as cold-blooded murders and admits to thinking about them every day. But he shows no sign of remorse. I fired the first shot by accident, the second to eliminate a witness, he says about the murder of Sten Nilsson and his 15-year-old son. Likewise, the mother had to die because she was a witness. More and more people turned up. More and more people I had to silence. It's a lucky thing there weren't more. This is how he remembers that bloody night in the summer of 1988. In 2007, Yuher is granted a conditional release. Less than two years later, he's back in prison for drink driving and intimidation. He also tries to escape repeatedly and unsuccessfully while serving this sentence. And when he's finally released, it's not long before he's arrested yet again. This time for arson and assault. By now, Yuha is in his late 40s. Meanwhile, Marita becomes a mother to two children. Every time Yuha is freed, she's afraid that one day he'll manage to track both her and her family down. So far, he has only reached out once. A few years after the killings, the Swedish director Jan Troll made Il Capitano, a film based on the story of Juha and Marita, the Bonnie and Clyde of the North. He's not the only one. Over the years, plenty of writers, filmmakers, journalists, and even punk bands have taken inspiration from the murders in Omsala. Shortly after the premiere of Il Capitano in 1991, Marita receives a letter from Yuha. He wants to know whether she's seen the film. 
Marita chooses not to respond. She has seen it, but thinks the film glorifies events in Omsala. To her, it's not at all an accurate representation of what happened during that horrific night in the summer of 1988. From Podimo, this is Murder in the North. A new episode every week, wherever you get podcasts. And for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts. Podcasts.